You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate, Andy, and Micah. Howdy, friends. <laughs> Hi, friend. Hi, friend. So, Andy, I hear you suck at night hunting. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, Not even like a he second. Didn't, he didn't even like, like didn't lube. Even wait. He didn't we even lube it up at all. He just no. shoved it right. <laughs> now you're going to like just ease into it. No, no. Well, I'm... I don't suck at night hunting. I suck at night shooting. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's the shooting part of it. Yeah, I heard y'all. I unfortunately didn't get to go. I I don't know why. I should have just went because I was up to like 3 o'clock in the morning anyways because oh, I just could not sleep. But it sounds like I missed on missed out on quite a bit of excitement going on. We had some action. It was fun. We killed three. Yeah. Killed three. Good looking dogs too. Well, those two, Dude, those two, two dogs sure. are like gorgeous. You had a really light colored female mm-hmm. and a really dark male. And that picture that we that doesn't do our buddy justice. posted. Uh, buddy called her. Or buddy my called buddy her. called her. Yeah, yeah. buddy called her. Uh, doesn't do it justice because at night, dude, that thing was a lot darker. Obviously, it was nighttime. It was. But, I have another picture. I need to like send to him or get it posted. But like of. It's legs. Yeah, the penciling. The penciling is yeah. legs, like it, it, the huge black patches. That's pretty cool. That was a gorgeous dog. Yeah. In my defense, that was the first, second time, well, technically. First time on that gun. First time though. on that gun. What gun do you have it on now? Uh, It's a self-built AR-15-223, 18-inch okay. barrel. I, I don't know. I've had it for probably six, seven years. i Built it all myself, you know, bought the lower and all the kits and put it all together. So I'm no gunsmith. Like, but, but was it shooting accurately before? So you put I sided that- in, and people probably make fun of me, but it's not, I mean, I did at the time I had 80 yards is all I could do that day. Um, I used the hot hands, to, you know, to, to 
Hey, I'm just gonna say it. That's a genius idea. Yeah, that's pretty smart. I was I was five out of six, like on the hot hands. Like I was, you know, fairly close group. So I don't know what that is, but at 80 yards, which is probably pretty damn close. But that little thing is that little thing. I'd say it's about eight inches. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the eight inch hot hands. (laughs) It wasn't the foot warmer. It was the hot. (laughs) But no, I mean, so I figured like, oh, that's good enough to kill a coyote, you know, because didn't have all day to sight it in. So right, I guess that's gonna work just fine. Uh, yeah, it didn't. Didn't work. Or I didn't. I don't know. That's so. how you, I don't even want to say. <laughs> it was fun. It it was a fun night. You know, you got to learn somewhere. I mean, I missed. The only person that didn't miss last night was Calder. Yeah, Calder's the only one. <laughs> oh, I think I got some video of him missing, actually. I thought well, I saw a video. But it was a running dog. That was after he'd already killed one and had to go oh, and help us. He was, oh, yeah, he, was, yeah, he yeah. killed one, turned he'd around. He'd already killed one, and then oh, okay. he turned and, around and, and saw And was trying him. to help. Nate and I pick up yeah. the ones we just screwed up. <laughs> yeah, there was a reason why was, he man. missed. I mean, he was shooting at running dogs at that point. So technically, yes, but I was mad. By like, that point, they lie. were two hundred eighty yards away. I bet. Well, I mean, it's it's new, so yeah, you just gotta get more time behind it. So that, I think it'd be fine. I'm gonna see if like something changed, or you know, it, I, I'm gonna be baffled honestly if I get out there and like shoot it and it's still right there like mm-hmm. that just means it's me like right. i was just a sloppy shot that's even gonna make me more, more angry yeah. yeah i uh something last night made me do something today so last night calder was gracious enough to let me borrow um actually i think it's cody's our buddy cody gun oh we got buddy maybe. cody now yeah my buddy cody <laughs> buddy cody i think it's his gun I'm not sure whose it is, but it was the, anyway the two forty three. Yeah, we, we let me borrow his stuff, and uh, you know, I I made a couple of misses too, and I was aggravated because I didn't feel like I was supposed to miss. Well, yeah. the first one I didn't feel good about it, but Ta- the I, one I, you and I double tapped. So first of all, we're supposed to one two three bang. Uh-huh. Oh, did he go on two? Please tell me he went on two. No, <laughs> didn't take a safety off. Oh, that's <laughs> on the first one. Yeah, I I pulled the trigger and I'm like, oops. And that's when World War Three went off. But uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> the the one that you and I ended up double trying to double tap, that one felt great. And I, I straight up missed him. And I'm like the one that what? me and you both like shot at. Yeah. I was rock steady on it. Calder's shooting a dog that's walking still and we yeah. missed one that's sitting still at hundred and twenty. So yards. what that did to me last night was because that was a gun I've never seen before in my life right. before last night and I'd never fired it. So I'm like Man, it's just aggravating that what did I do wrong? Because mm-hmm. it was it was on. <laughs> um, so um, today I spent money. Your wife's going to kill you. Yeah. Well, Mike already told her. So Ooh, Mike no, ratted I, me. I did not. Ratted me out. I did not. I And I don't think she caught on. She might have. Oh, no, she knows. Yeah. But I don't know. I bought Sorry. a thermal. I bought yeah. a thermal. I did. bought a thermal halfway through the season. <laughs> yeah. Solid. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be here in two days. Yeah, and uh, I hope to at least get to with get? it. I got a IRA um, Rico MK1. Nice. It's the 384. Yeah, version. So it's the same 384 as my Pulsar. They have Pulsar Pulsar Trail Two. Yeah. So yeah, the the 640 version was several grand more, and you can definitely tell a difference though. I look using Calder stuff, which is 640. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm I'm excited about this Rico because uh it's um every like all the YouTube reviews and even talking to well 
um, our guest tonight, who we'll get into at some point, um, <laughs> and uh, James O'Neill from O'Neill Ops. That one seems to be the one that everybody talks about. People think it's a 640. Really? And then they're like, oh, it's a, it's a 384. So I'm, I'm hoping it is really, really clear. And uh, like they say it is. And, you know, I, I think I like it. I was excited. I got it um, from our, our new friend, James O'Neill with O'Neill Ops. Absolutely. You should give him a call, by the way. He is a dealer for thermals. Not that he sponsors us or anything, but. I'm looking at a, uh, what is it called, monocular? Monocular. Monocular. Yeah. I've I've learned that scanning with the gun, my back honestly hurts because being taller, my tripod's just a little too short. So I was bent over for majority of the evening. And yeah. yeah. I plan on getting one next year. I'm going to, I ain't going to pull the trigger this year, but next year I plan on getting one. Well, I I freaking feel left out. Everybody goes out. (laughs) I always got to borrow somebody's crap. That's what I hate is borrowing. Well, like, uh, we borrowed Not Russell's crap. Stuff I'm just saying, borrowed last week stuff and broke his damn gun. What? Well, his gun fell apart. What? Yeah, I missed that. Something happened. We don't know. I missed that part. Uh, so I got home. It was with, fixable. With like any of our listeners care about this, but I got home and his gun stock was like loose on the like I picked the gun up kind of like it was laying on its side, and I picked it up on the butt and then on the handguard just picked it up to take it out of a case and the the butt stock just rotated and i'm like what in the hell so i i examined it and it was that uh all castle that, nut. that castle nut that the tube goes into the lower mm-hmm. so i lined it all back up and tightened it well i didn't realize that there was a spring mm-hmm. that so was gone springs gone uh. oh the spring the, uh what's it called the it spring holds that pin well it holds <laughs> a pin in there yeah um so, Russell's walking, like, out of his house holding the gun, and literally the gun splits in half. Yeah. And then he calls me. He's like, did something happen? I'm like, well, yeah, but I, I thought it was just a small little deal. That's what I hate when you borrow someone else's stuff. You know, you feel bad when you mess it up because yeah. it's not like you're meaning to do it, and then it happens. and you're It always shit. happens to you. You know, <laughs> It never happens to them when they have Because that it. holds, I think, like, is it a d- called a detent? deal that holds your uh pin uh to keep like the whole breach of everything closed yes from that, your upper and your lower that's what it did and yeah. that pin just slid out <laughs> while he was carrying it and so i'm like shit sorry dude i'll, I'll yeah. buy you a new one i mean i don't know how it happened like i we're taking care of it but you know it is what it is so i'm excited because now i'm gonna have a thermal on my gun there you go i'm gonna know how it shoots i'm gonna you know i'm I don't want to have the, that pissed me off. Yeah. Missing one at 120 that felt good. That made me mad. Yep. You know, the other one, he was a, a long ways away. It was windy. Things happen. You know, <laughs> we're just sending her, bud. Send yeah. it. But, uh, anyways. But besides talking about thermals tonight, thermals, thermals we're going to talk about lights. Yeah. We're going to talk about lights. And he's got me really intrigued with the dual purpose like dual using both together and, and, and we get into that a little bit um but tonight we have on here uh chris with the night crew yeah uh if you haven't seen them before you really ought to check their stuff out um the night crew is on youtube and the sportsman's channel um but their stuff is legit it's awesome gorgeous stuff <clears throat> they actually use white lights to film these animals that they call <laughs> 
and it's it's good stuff. So Chris talks about you know the positives and I guess negatives of hunting with lights, mm-hmm. especially here in Missouri. This is our second year. It's new. People are just learning how to like, even maybe how to even get into night hunting if it's a a, a option for them. So this is an option that some people can use because it's it's certainly cheaper right than thermals no you can go out there and get a specific light for predator hunting and it'll any cost you anywhere from 150 to you know probably to 500 i don't know i haven't looked at the max but i'm you know it's it's doable yeah and so that way you don't have to go out buy a thermal you don't you know have to have a specific gun set up that way you can use whatever gun you got that's already ready uh, so, you know, it just broadens the horizon yeah. a little bit. So it's pretty so exciting stuff. It's a good show, and um, he gives a lot of good information. For sure. Partners for today, before we get into the show. Huntworth Gear, as always, awesome partner of ours. Um, <laughs> funny. <in> the <laughs> That was the creepiest <laughs> laugh I've ever freaking heard. <laughs> <laughs> March 2nd or whatever it was last night when we hunted. We were wearing lightweight pants yeah. and light sweatshirts. Yep. I mean, it was, it was, it was warm, warm, man. It was 62 yeah. degrees when we were hunting on March, you know, whatever night last night, March 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. La- a, what, a week ago, I was wearing my cold weather gear with Huntworth. Yeah. And last night, I was wearing early season stuff. Yeah. But uh, no matter what, if it's early to late, their stuff works awesome. Yeah, it does. So. I was been super impressed. With Use our code everything, MWW15 for fifteen percent off. They're actually having a twenty percent sale right now. So oh, nice. Use that. Yeah. So use that instead. But check them out. Alps Outdoors, awesome partner of ours. Um, got some stuff coming that uh, I ordered. Uh, broke broke my chair, my tri my tri leg chair or whatever from them, mm-hmm. which is one of my Dave cheap product. I don't mean cheap as in quality, right. like a, a cheaper product. One of my favorite damn things that they make. Yeah. Love that thing. Tri-Lake Stool, I think is it called. But uh, it's, it's awesome. And they really freaking came through for our listeners. Oh, dude, they – you guys are going to like this. Just just got this from uh, our contact there. Use the code WOODSWATER. Spell it out, WOODSWATER. All caps. Oh, it doesn't have to be all caps. That's just what no. I wrote down. No, that's how he sent it too. So it was in the email. So that's the way Fine. I would do it. Woods water, all, all caps, caps to water. save 30%. That's huge. On your order through Alps Outdoors. Yeah, 30%. 30%. 30%, that's huge. Yeah, that's awesome that they That'll did that work. for our I'm listeners. I'm hoping that's not a typo. <laughs> <laughs> three, we meant 3%. We meant 3%. 3%, <laughs> damn it. And, nope, uh, nope, you said. <laughs> yeah, and Alps is um going to participate. Well, Huntworth 2, do we want to? Do we want to bring we that up? We want to announce that now, or do we want to announce it later? We'll just say we got our 100th episode coming up. You probably want to stay tuned. Trying to do big That's things. That's right. Yeah. Our 100th episode's coming up. Stay tuned, because yeah. there's going to be some cool stuff coming out. Absolutely. Habitat Works. Uh, the dude, Dustin, is a smart guy. Yeah. I mean, that's all there is to it. He's Habitat is his thing, and he's good at it. Uh He's been busy lately. Mm-hmm. Um, every every day on Instagram, he's out somewhere working. Yep. 
and uh, he kind of sw- he kind of switched things up a little bit on on his offer, which I think is going to be awesome for our listeners. Okay. Um, mention him when you call. Uh, you call him at eight one six seven five. Mention us. Mention us. Sorry. Call him at eight one six seven five two seventy three ninety. Email him habitatworksllc at gmail.com. If you mention that you heard of him from Missouri Woods and Water, you get fifteen percent off any of his services. Perfect. Anything he does. That's awesome. And uh, he does things like timber stand improvement, forestry, forestry mulching, fire, um, you know, mapping, planning, just pretty much all of the things. He, he can get you set up. He can write you the plan to be successful as far as the habitat management side of things. I actually need to get a hold of him again. I need to have him out this month. Uh, my plan is to start. I mean, we're in, we're in prime time to be doing habitat management. So <laughs> yeah. I know my hope, I'm hoping to get my plots in within the next few weeks. Need to do it sooner, but you know, life happens. Yep. Uh, so so get a hold of him and new partner tonight. Well, not tonight. New partner for, of ours, and we are excited. Um, Super excited. We are excited to work with. This is where you come in and say the name. Zamberland. Zamberland boots. Um, if nobody knows it about Zamberland, they uh, they're a high quality boot. I will tell. You, I will say this, Micah. What is one thing my dad has always said? Buy once, cry once. That's he said that too. Um, Get what you pay for. Isn't that, isn't that a saying of his? Yeah, Get what you, you pay, pay for. for. Or the famous, uh, you can fuck up a wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think that's applicable here. Oh, okay. My uh. Mind. In most things, that's decently true, right? Yeah. But there are some things I've argued with my dad about that, no, it, I can spend nothing, and it's the same damn thing as you spending a million dollars. In footwear, I truly believe. You, get, you, you do get, get what you, what pay, you for. pay for in yep. boots. Yep. And Zamberland is a premier boot, um, and there's just nothing else to it. They're premier, premier uh, hunting boot, um, hunting, hiking, Yep. You you call it? Or yeah, you they name got it. Some, they got shoes too. So anything, we're excited to get in get in them, try them out. I've heard great things about them. I mean, yeah, all the reviews are awesome. Uh, yeah, they're and I mean they've been in business for forever, long time. Uh, obviously, Italian but, boots. Italian yeah. boots are kind of like they Italy boots. They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, Italian boots. Um, they they know what they're doing. Uh, all of Zamberland boots can be resold. So you go spend you know the money on a pair of boots and you wear it down the soles. Just get them resold. You don't have to yeah, right. go buy a new pair. That's that's cool. So we're excited to start working with them and, um, you know, bring you uh, some, some cool stuff. Absolutely. Do we got any more crap we have to go through? No, let's just – Did we it. already go through our horrible night last night? Yeah, and, we uh, did that. Yeah, we did that. We did all that. Okay. I think we need to get to it. We got through Micah ratting me out to my wife yep. five seconds after I bought the, the thermal. Okay. that's That's really a dick move, by the way. I didn't, dude. I just saw the email. I'm like, oh, you oh, got it. You ordered it. <laughs> ordered what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> All right, let's uh, get into our show with Chris of the Night Crew. Okay. This is this is Missouri Woods Jesus. and Water Podcast. All right. Okay, with us tonight, uh, we're excited about this one. We've got Chris Robinson with the Night Crew. 
What's going on, Chris? What's up, fellas? How are y'all? Good. I'm a little tired. I'm really tired, too, and I didn't even get to do what you guys did last night, so. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry I'm sorry I couldn't hook up with you guys a little sooner, but I've had a busy day myself, so. That's what, oh. yeah, that's what you said, yeah. No, you're fine. Usually the later the, later the better for us, just because he's got, you know, 14 kids, and each of them play a different sport, and, you know, we, we all got kids and things going on, so usually the later the podcast, it works out better. Right. <laughs> hey, Chris doesn't know us well enough to know that you're not joking. He's got four. I don't have 14 kids. And they play 14 sports. Maybe that was it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, But before we – There's only one of me. I only have – I can't imagine that little me running around somewhere. So I kind of just kept it it just by myself. I've got four little me's running around. And uh, each one I thought I'd try to get it right with the next one. And I just never can perfect it, you know. So (laughs) I quit trying. But – Okay, before we get into tonight's uh, meat and potatoes, uh, how about you introduce introduce yourself, uh, tell us who you are, where you're from, and why don't you give the listener a quick uh, snippet about what the night crew is. Uh, uh, I guess, let me see if I can explain it in a nutshell uh, and not get too winded with it. Um, and, hey, there ain't no time limit, so you, yeah, you explain whatever. away. <laughs> Essentially, we're basically, we're a Texas-based group of guys that, you know, we all have, have, there's, let me, let me start over. Let me say it like this. There, we all have a passion for night hunting and it's something that we live, live for. And to, to us, it's all about being able to go out and enjoy, you know, the sport we love and be able to try to bring that sport into everybody's living room to where we've looked at it. Like if, if we could take what we do and the experiences we have and show it to people in such a way where they could enjoy it. Maybe half as much as we did actually being there, then, then we feel like that we've accomplished what we set out to do. Yeah. If that makes any sense. And it's all through a camera, you know, and, and James is one of those types of guys, you guys just done, did a podcast with him and he's, he's got the same mindset. You know, it doesn't matter how many coyotes he kills. It doesn't matter how far they are out or anything like that. It's, is making sure that the people that are watching it enjoy it, you know, and get to, to see how much fun it is through, through the TV screen. Yeah. You know, cause it's, I mean, to me, it's the best sport out there. You know, you can, you uh, guys are newbies, and y'all, but y'all, y'all will figure out real quick. Night hunting is, it's a blast. It's addicting. Oh, we're already. Yeah. We're getting, it's, it's getting thick, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's awesome. We, we really are starting to enjoy it. Yep. But I, mean, I just, I, just I literally our... just dropped money on a, a thermal yeah. with, uh, with James actually right before we called you. So, I mean, yeah. uh, it's, it's becoming an issue. That's for sure. But, and what I love about, you know, your show and, and James's show, obviously, is you feel like you're on the hunt with you guys. Right. You know, I feel like I'm there watch, you know, I'm standing in the bed of the truck with you or in the field with you or whatever. And you know, like that, that one, I just watched one. I don't remember how old it is at this point, but you guys pulled in and, and you really weren't happy with how tall the grass was. So right. you just, you hook, you set up in the truck, uh-huh. killed a, a two, I think you were over in the field talking about it, heard him start going crazy again, dropped the dogs right there and went after the next ones, you know, and I, I could, I could yeah. feel that, you know, I'm like, yeah, that, that's cool. Um, but you know, what we're going to kind of talk about tonight the listeners, you know, your show, you do a lot with lights, 
And uh-huh. your show is really different, honestly, than any that I watch because you use lights in your hunt and and also to help give you really good footage. Yeah, I mean, you got you. I would I'd probably I'd put it up there with probably, you know, some of the top nighttime footage out there as far as, you know, using lights and stuff that. like that. I mean, it's it is high quality stuff. I don't know what is it. Is that considered 4K, the type of camera or? Well, up until about the last two months, it's it's actually been still in 1080. Has it? We've just gotten, our, we've gotten our, our, we've kind of, we've evolved our lighting to the point to where that no matter how good a camera you got, it, even if it is a 4K or even higher, you know, budget camera, you you can't get the best quality footage unless you have, have everything lit like it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and, and for, we've had the same camera, honestly, from since about 2010, 2011, it's been a, just a HD Canon camera, but we've got really good lights, you know, and that's a lot of, a lot of guys are like, man, that must be like a $30,000 rig that they're shooting all that stuff in. Well, no, not really. It's just, we've figured out how to light everything like it needs to right. be. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's high quality stuff. I mean, I, I enjoy watching it just from a, is it cinematography? Is that the word? Yeah. Standpoint. I'll, I'll take you know, it. I mean, everything's super clear. I was watching one uh, earlier today, and I remember, I think you killed a double already, and you had a triple coming in. And you're like, nope, wait, wait. He's not in focus. Not in focus. Not yet. And you see, so y'all waited till the coyote became in focus, and that's when you made the kill shot. So, I mean, right. I appreciate that from a viewer standpoint, that, you know, you're good, putting really good quality product out there. Yeah. Yeah, and that. and we'll kind of we'll start at the beginning, honestly, with you and how you started night hunting, you know, and how it evolved to where it is now. But before right. we do that, I do want to give him a hard time, Chris. I'd like you to meet Andy. He's here now, <laughs> showing up late. Man. <laughs> we told him you were going to be a little late, but we still oh. wanted to mess with you. Yeah, sorry about that. They were talking major shit about you before you came in the door. Just letting you know. Yeah, we just they, we dude, didn't they talk major shit when I'm in the door, so it don't matter. <laughs> we just didn't record it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So have you, I, I know you've been coyote hunting since you were a kid. I mean, I heard you tell the huh? story on your podcast with the O'Neill Ops about um, you went, you were, they were doing some calling thing at the church and right. you, you eavesdropped through the window and, and it was part of your problem beginning there. And um, have you, have you night hunted from the, the get or when did you start actually night hunting? Uh, yeah. To, I guess to, started at the very beginning that that whole deal that we basically when i was i was seven years old we had a uh a, there was a get together at our church and they had in the back they have this building that they do all their functions and parties and events and stuff like that and i was i was running around the building when i was when i was there there was a, all the grown-ups and stuff were inside the building and i and i'm just out there goofing off playing or doing something and all of a sudden I heard this, this, this rabbits, you know, it, it was a hand call is what it was. And, uh, I'm like, what the heck is that? So I stuck my head in the door and I, and it was like, I was, I mean, I, it changed my life. I was captivated and I, I'll never forget. That's my very first introduction to ever hearing a predator call. And from there, my dad actually got to be pretty good friends with Murray Burnham. And I don't know if you guys from Missouri know anything about Burnham brothers calls, but Murray, Murray was kind of one of the guys back when predator hunting was really in that infant stage way before my time. 
I mean, back in the 40s and 50s, you know, where they were just basically starting to pioneer taking distress sounds and actually calling in, in predators. And uh, somehow, how, how he did it, I don't know, but he got to be really good friends with Murray. We, we went to Marble Falls and stayed at his house and stunt a, a bunch. And while we were there, uh, he took us out and did some day hunting and some nighttime hunting. Well, whenever we got back, that's when my dad really kind of really started getting into it. And from there, I can remember going out with him when I was a kid, like seven or eight years old and calling in, you know, big cats and killing them with shotguns 10 or 15 feet from us and stuff. Well, just when I was, I mean, I, I was barely big enough to carry the shotgun in and out of the stands and stuff, <laughs> you know, but it all kind of, that's kind of where the, the, the passion for the sport really took off and all throughout, like through my teens, you know, in twenties, we, we hunted a lot of contests and we just went out fun hunting and, and we were always in that mode. And we finally got to the point with the contest where we were like, you know, we're out busting our ass. We're hunting 24 hours about trying to kill ourselves to go and win 50 bucks. I'm like all these animals that we're killing, what would happen if we were to try to figure out a way to film this, you know? And at the time, this was back in like 2000, I don't know, 2003, 2004 timeframe. At the time, there was really only, there's a, there was a handful of guys out there that were filming night hunting. And the stuff that was out there, nothing against them. It just wasn't what I, in my, in my mind, envisioned. I wanted something people to see mm -hmm. to represent what we actually do because everything that was out there was all just, the footage was just, you know, to put it bluntly, was not was garbage. And uh, I got the point where it's like, you know, if, if we can figure out a way to where we can actually show this stuff in detail, the amount of, of uh, attention that would get first off would be amazing. And we would be actually legitimately showing people something that they haven't seen yet. And, they, and to me, being able to actually see the animals up close and just super high quality detail is something that you just don't it's hard to wrap your head around that because it's just something that you just don't see all the time, no. you know, and, and our, when we first really started getting into the filming side of it was we basically decided that we were, we were going to go film a DVD and our mindset going into it was, is that we were all going to make all this money on this DVD. <laughs> that, <laughs> we'll laugh with that you. Was like, yeah. Yeah. That was the furthest thing from the truth. But in the, in the end, what basically happened and I can get into the, however far you want to go into the, actually the transition of going from one light to another, we can get into all of that if you want. Well, but, let's do it. Yeah. But before we go there, the, the DVD was basically a complete flop, you know, when it, in the end, as far as sales and stuff like that. But what, what we didn't really realize at the time is the fact that, that dvd market was basically already on the downhill before we ever even got the dvd finished right and it really was a good video but the problem was is that that market had gone so far down the, the tube by the time that we got done with it it was like okay we've we've still got a, a thousand of these things sitting in boxes and we can't even hardly give them away you know, so what do we do? So we decided that we would go to a local, there was a local trade show here. It's called Texas Trophy Hunters. I don't know if you guys have heard it or seen uh -uh. any of their stuff, but they, uh, they have a big trade show every year in Fort Worth. And we decided to go and, and essentially take that video 
just to sell what we had, you know, and we did a big TV, built this big uh, booth and had uh, all kinds of cool animals and stuff on it. And, and in a nutshell, we had a, I did like a teaser video that had a bunch of really just up close in your face, just really bright white light footage of cats and coyotes and stuff. And I had it looping on that TV. So when somebody would walk by, uh, they would notice that that footage and they would stay with most all of them would be like, Hey, what's that? Cause it, it's just, it looked different, you know? Right. And, um, in the midst of that show, uh, a guy named Gary Robertson happened to walk by. And I don't know if you guys know who Gary Robertson is, but he's right now, he's the current owner of Burnham brothers. And it was kind of weird how that all worked out. It just so happened that he was, they were, they were there representing Burnham brothers at the same trade show. Well, when all of that happened, they were also in the process of starting uh, their own show on the Pursuit Channel called Carnivore. And I don't know if you've ever seen I've that. that. Yeah, I'm yep. familiar. I've seen a few that. episodes of it. But Gary's kind of, he was kind of getting up there in years. And the, the guy that he was working with was actually the, the marketing director for Mossy Oak, a guy named Dustin Whitaker. And um, they were basically wanting to do a show that had, it was all about predator hunting, but they, they knew that they needed some guys that, that was going to be their, their nighttime guys, the ones that were out. That's what they do. That's their thing. That's what they wanted to do. Well, Gary happened to go by the booth. And as soon as he went by the booth, he, he told me later on, he's like, when I got back to our booth, I was like, well, I found her night guys, <laughs> you know? So long story short, one thing led to another and we spent, they, uh, we basically did, we had fun with that deal. We spent four years on that show and we did all of their nighttime stuff, uh, for them. They would usually at the beginning of the year, we'd go out and we'd get a bunch of kills and, and there we'd send the footage to their producer and he would put it together. And in the end, there would usually end up being about two or three episodes per season on carnivore. That was just strictly night nighttime stuff. And that was all, that was kind of where we got our introduction into the, into the TV side of things. Um, and at that point, the, the DVD pretty much just got left in the rear view mirror. We, we left a thousand <laughs> DVD cases somewhere in Fort Worth. Hey, if you guys want one, I'd be happy to send you <laughs> Yeah, one. send a handful, man. We'll <laughs> take them. Yeah. I'll dust off the DVD but, player <laughs> for sure. I know Caden would, hey, I'm just saying my son would probably be, be real happy if he got a DVD in the mail that had a Chris Robinson signature on it, you know? There you go. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> hey. hey. Hey, unless you're joking, I'd be more than happy to. So I'm kind of joking, but uh, I mean, he, he would probably love it. I will say it'd that. Be pretty <laughs> he would love it. Yeah. But, uh, but now that, that was kind of the first, um, the first introduction and really how we ended up kind of where we were. And, and really, that was really a, a blessing for us because we were kind of at a point where, you know, it was like, we'd put all this effort into making something that as good as we could possibly make it. And it was like, it was just bad timing. Had that video been released five years earlier, I think we would have sold the crap out of it. Yeah. But it's just the timing of everything. The internet was getting to the point where it was like, you can see anything you want to watch on YouTube or wherever on the internet. Who's going to go and spend $20 to right. go and buy a DVD that they can go and watch half the time for free on the internet, you know? Yeah, when you said so, the year, it made me go, man, that's, that's getting kind of close to the end of that that yeah. boom you know because i hell i can remember like my freshman year of college 
Don't date yourself. Not messing with DVDs much anymore, <laughs> and that was a couple of years before that time. So, yeah, you right. can see where that just was bad timing almost, you know, just technology changed at the wrong time for you more than anything. Yeah, well, it it, it was just a stepping stone for us to kind of move on to, to other things, and, and one thing led to another. We ran with them for four years, and we finally got to the point where it was like, I've always been kind of a like a hands-on type of person when it comes to the footage and like just like James had conveyed to you guys like he wants to be the guy that's behind the camera because he in his head when he's out there shooting stuff he knows in his mind he's got a certain look that he's already got in his head that that that's what he wants that's what he wants to portray to people right and nothing against nothing against carnivore or any of the guys there we had a great time with them but we wanted our own identity and we wanted to, to present night hunting in a, in the way that we wanted to for people to to perceive it, you know. And and we kind of felt like that the only way to do that was to try to figure out a way to to break away from there, and and do our own thing and have complete control over it from start to finish. And that includes not going and hiring a production company. You know, I've always felt like if I want it done right or the way I see it, even if it sucks, if if it sucks, it's because of me. Yeah. And if it's good, it's because of me, because I know well, the way that I want it to, to be. And for me to be able to convey that to somebody else, we knew going in that that would mentally in my gut, I knew that that would never be possible to do that. So I was like, I didn't know nothing about editing. I didn't know nothing about different cameras. I didn't know nothing about different video codecs or nothing like that. I had to go and learn all that stuff on my own. And on top of that, figure out a way okay well how am i going to afford all this you know yeah. because tv a lot of guys don't understand outdoor programming it ain't they they don't call me and offer me money for my tv show i gotta pay them for my airtime and then all the sponsors that i have for that show basically pay me to advertise through that show to pay for that airtime that's how outdoor programming works and to be able to afford it you know it's it's not cheap to be on on any kind of major network like that i mean you've got to have sponsors that have a good enough advertising budget to be able to pay the kind of money that you need as a producer to be able to go and actually air those shows and be able to have something left over at the end of it yeah you know so that's a whole that's a whole uh different you got to have there's a lot of balance there that you got to figure out and uh it's just one that's just been over time we've tried to we've tried to keep it to where people that want to watch the show when they, when they watch it, we want them to not know what they're going to see from one week to the next. And to, to do that, we've kind of felt like that as long as we can give them a different story each week, you know, we don't want them to see the same cow coming over the same hill, just in a different place from week to week. You know, we want it to have more depth to it than that. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, and at least for me, one of the first things that I thought when I watched, you know, the first few episodes of your guys' stuff or the first few times I saw your stuff that sets you guys apart from the other things that I watch is, and I said this to James when we recorded with him last week about you all, is nobody that I've watched at least does it the way you guys do. And we'll get into lights in a second, but the absolute uh, beauty when you know when those lights hit that dog or bobcat or whatever that's coming in 
it's nighttime and you're looking at an animal almost more it's almost more gorgeous than you would see it during the day because of the way right. you're doing it you know the colors almost bounce off the animal back to the camera in my opinion you know some of them just 100%. like Man, look at those black markings on that cat right there that you might not have seen in a day or whatever uh that's the thing that jumped yeah. out at me at first and um hopefully that's something you're going for but but like yeah a lot of people don't really understand that that like whenever we actually have an animal under probably with the lights we're running right now there when a coyote or, or a bobcat or something gets under say 60 70 yards there's physically more light on that animal for that camera to look at than there is during high noon sunlight because sunlight one thing whenever when you're day hunting and you're filming during the day that sun's always going to be positioned rarely right in that animal's face right. and with the nighttime stuff with the way that our lights are basically attached to our camera there's always just i mean it, there's so much light there that it bounces so much detail back at the camera that's that's the huge advantage that we have to be able to do what we do with with lights compared to to day hunting or something like that um but it's definitely brighter than people actually can perceive when you watch it on a tv screen it's actually brighter than that in person oh, believe it or not yeah that's cool when you're when you're if you're actually if you were standing right next to us when we had an animal that close you would be like holy shit i cannot believe that that animal came into that because it's extremely bright it's not just a tv trick it's not you know post-processing boosting the image making it brighter it's none of that it's actually we actually overexpose our footage when we're out in the field to where we can bring it down and post to bring out highlights and stuff like that and that's a whole other story but long story short it's those cameras even with the best cameras that are out there still can't capture the kind of light that you actually see in person when when you're there put it mm. that way that's so cool. So um, I guess we'll jump into the lights a little bit. When did you guys make the transition to white light? Because, and, and you talk about it on your show, you know, you've used red, you use green, but obviously for filming, white works the best. So when did you kind of realize, hey, yeah, you know, because people kind of shied away from the white light. I know that they used to use them way back when, and then they, you know, red became real hot, green became real hot, but you're kind of bringing it back to where white works just as good as any, any other. And we'll talk about that from a strictly filming perspective first, but then I also kind of want to talk about it from just the average Joe Blow that wants to go night hunting. Right. Their and, perspective and as to. well. Yeah. And, and you need to. What we do is complete overkill for, for the average guy that wants to go out and be successful. Yeah, I see that light behind you, it's dude. Just, that thing is stout. <laughs> yeah, your tripod. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, that's – yeah, this is actually the latest version. That's the latest. It kind of looks like E.T. from the side. It but, does, but yeah. It's tiny. Like, com compared to the – I mean, I need a better look at it. But we built all that. I'm pretty much from the bottom up, we completely – machined everything and made everything do what we needed it to do but main thing was is we wanted to make it where it was compact yeah and we can hike in and out of places because there's a lot of places that we can't get the truck into that's another thing that's the next step for missouri is you guys need to talk them into letting y'all hunt from a truck 
You let him to do, if you talk him into doing that. Yeah, it might be 95 before they let that happen. Hey, if you talk him into doing that, they'll figure out that there's 10 more months in the year eventually (laughs) where you can actually hunt the rest of the year. (laughs) Be nice. Yeah, we're we're all like excited they gave us two months. We're like, woohoo. We're just shooting for a few more months. (laughs) I love trucks. (laughs) But no, to answer, to go back to your your question, um, and some of this is going to be stuff that I've already kind of gone through on on James's their podcast but um i'll try to not be redundant and say you know the same things over too many times but um essentially the 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 transition from the red light to the white light was nothing more than a necessity to be able to get good footage and that all goes back to that all boils back to the fact that we wanted originally in my 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 mind and my heart what i wanted to show people was something that really got had that wow factor. And if it didn't have that wow factor, what's going to separate our footage from everybody else that was out there that I've always felt like was just not good. You know, and we what we did, we we spent the first 2 years I went out, I paid my own money and back then I, I think the at the time the best camera that they had available was for a Canon, I've always kind of been a Canon guy, but they had a, a camera called an XHA1, which it filmed on these little mini DV cassette tapes. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go and buy this camera and it's either going to eventually pay for itself or uh, it'll end up being on eBay two years down the road, one or the other. Uh, but I bought the camera and we spent two years, we had animals just, you know, running us over. We'd get them into 20, 30 yards and, and time it was all said and done, they the footage that we had to show for it was just like yeah you know it was mediocre and i'm like we got to figure something out if that isn't a term i've heard so many times in my life mediocre (laughs) mediocre (laughs) yeah it and it really was and and you know i'm i'm my own worst like critic you know and i'm we've always taken the stance that whenever we go out and we film something if we ever get back in the truck and and say well that's usable if we ever do that, then that, then it never ends up seeing the light of day, you know? And, and when you kind of take that approach to things, then if you constantly strive for getting stuff that's exceptional and pushing the limits and trying to get it as good as you can possibly get it, you know, if you do that enough times at the end of the day, if all your shit is really, really up close and high quality, then that's going to make it stand apart from a video standpoint, in my opinion, that then that a lot of guys will cut short. They'll, they'll, instead of pushing that extra, you know, a few hours a night, just trying to find that right animal, they'll, they'll cut it short and they'll be like, Oh yeah, that'll work. But we've never had that mindset. It's always, we want them to make it better than the last one, you know? And a part of that was getting away from a red light. And um, basically what happened the guys that I was hunting with, he, he was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. And I said, well, there's only one good way to find out. And what he did, we, back then we were running, uh, the big light force lights. Y'all probably don't the remember big, that. Like spotlight scanner type light. It was like this big, it was giant. <laughs> you nearly had to have two hands to hold it up, but it was super bright. And, uh, we, we got in the back of the truck and I said, just take that damn filter off of it. Just see what happens. Just shine it just like you always do. Do everything just like you always do and just see. And uh, we were, at the time, we were running a lot of shotguns and we don't do a whole lot of shotgun anymore. But in a nutshell, we started calling 
scanning, scanning about a minute or two in, he picks up eyes and they're coming. And this is one you could tell he was about to come eat the bumper of the truck. You know, he was coming and, uh, he hit him with that light and, you know, you got the main part of the light and then you got the big halo underneath it. Uh-huh. And, uh, as soon as he hit him with it, he was like, Oh, he had, he pulled the light up and he, and he, you know, put him in the halo. Well, I'm like, I can't film with that. I need that dense beam of light on that animal or that camera. It's going to look like crap. So I was like, I just reached over there and I grabbed that light. I was like, no, put it back down on him. Well, I'll be damned. It was the coyote at that point was probably about a hundred yards and closing the gap fast. He put the light on the animal just right in the dead center of it. And that cow literally, we ended up killing it at like 20 yards with a 12 gauge. And if we wouldn't have shot it, it would have kept, you know, it have kept running and tried to run the truck over. But at that point in time, it was like, okay, red lights are never getting ever used again. You know, it showed us, it gave us the confidence that it is possible. There are coyotes out there that will take and put up with a light that's not red. You know, and for me, that would gave me the confidence to know that that what we envisioned in our head, what we were striving to achieve, was actually obtainable. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Do you at that point? Do you think so, if you would have went through that night, let's just say you guys tried it that night and nothing worked, you you know maybe uh-huh. you spooked a few of them or whatever, you know, just a bad night. Do you think you would have potentially phoned it going? in? Yeah. Do you think you would have kept trying that or? I got lucky. That's what I was going to say. Do you feel like up, like that was just a perfect storm to to start it? I got lucky because I had I had mentally made up my mind that I didn't care if we screwed 10 of them up. I was going to prove to myself that a white light is possible in some form or fashion and figure out how to make it work. Right. You know, there were other guys that were calling them in and filming them some with a white light. So I knew if those guys did it, they were from Texas. Like there's no reason why we can't figure the same thing out on our own, but to do that, there's a, most guys when they're, when they first get into night hunting, there's so much talk and chatter about, well, you got to have this, you got to have that. It gets up here in their head Mm. and mentally it's hard for them to push past that to say, okay, well, I'm going to prove to myself what's possible. And that's where I had to get in my head. I had to say, okay, well, even if we mess up the first, four or five coyotes or whatever that come in. I want to know for a fact, is it possible to call in a coyote up close with a bright white light? Because that's what I had to have to be able to film it the way that I wanted to film it. And we proved that on the very first, it was literally the very first stand of the night, like probably a minute into the stand and we had the right coyote show up. And not only did it give me confidence, but it gave the other guys confidence we can we can do what we're trying to do at right. that point, you know. And then from there, it was just figuring out exactly how you wanted your light setup to be. I mean, yeah. you went through right. all kinds of different, what do you call it, renditions. Light rigs. Right, right. Yeah, we're yeah. we're probably this one right here is probably I don't know. That's probably the tenth version of it. And what's funny is that light right there puts out twice as much light as the big lights that we had in our truck. Wow. It's, yep. it's super, super bright. But the, um, what happened essentially on that deal is we basically, when we figured out that you could get away with the white light, the guy that was hunting with us at the time, he, he was real notorious for when, a, when a gun would go off, he would jump like a girl, he would get scared, boom. And, and the light would go off of it. And as soon as that happened, you'd lose the most important part of the whole, 
you know, the clip, you know, you, yeah. you want the kill shot. And so I finally got to the point where I was like, screw that. I'm going to fix this shit where I can do it myself. You know, I was like, no matter what this guy does with the light, I'm going to fix it to where that camera has always got light looking down the lens of that camera. Yeah. And uh, one thing led to another and it finally, it evolved from having one light to three lights to five lights back to four lights. The lights changed from one to the other. And then finally in the last three or four years, we've gotten it to the point where they're, they're all completely mobile. We can actually, we can put that light in the truck or we can put it on a tripod and walk in and out of places with it. And, um, at the time we didn't realize what i kind of did that out of necessity but we didn't realize how much it would change the way the footage looked compared to having a camera over here and a light over here and they're both two doing two totally different things right that's what yeah. gives the footage that you look at it and it's like oh i'm looking at something during the daytime it's because the two are in sync and before that there was really no footage out there that looked like that there was, it just totally gave it a totally unique look. Um, and we kind of started building for the last, I guess that was back in 2008. Since then, we've just kind of been evolving it slowly and trying to make it better and tweaking this and that between, you know, That's lights cool. and different types of tripod heads and stuff like that. So nice. this might be a dumb Does that question. Answer your question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This might be a dumb question, but is there anything like obviously um you use uh what is it wicked uh okay i'm trying to think wicked what, lights yeah wicked lights those are the lights you use is you there any, so close i, I mean all you so had to do was say lights so, so close is there <laughs> anything other than the fact that i'm sure they're extremely bright when it comes to white light is there anything different from the lights you use compared to just a bright ass light that you can pick up at a hardware store as far as white light goes White, white, as far as I'm concerned, white light is white light, red light's red light. It, there's really not just a whole lot of difference in them other than just the intensity of them. Yeah, okay. And for us, we've never hidden the fact these lights right here are not wicked lights. Okay. These are lights that we actually had developed. We actually had some guys actually develop and build these specifically for us to film with, and it's not wicked. We mm -hmm. use our, our all of our wicked stuff as a headlamp. That's what we primarily use to, to scan with. And it's, they're super badass headlamps. I mean, that's, that's like a critical part of our process is having somebody to scan nonstop 360 degrees. And that's, that's where wicked comes into play for night crew. And I, I told the, the owner of wicked, whenever we first started working with them, I said, look, I said, we've had these lights long before we ever had wicked as a partnership for the show. I said, the, I, what we don't want to do is we don't want to try to portray y'all's lights as the Those. same as the lights that we used to film because this is our baby and and wicked is kind of another part of our toolkit yeah you know cool. so we build our own our own lights for filming the filming side of it and they they're there for all of the the other part of it that we really have to have to be able to do this stuff um but as far as the lights are concerned them, themselves you know I honestly don't think there's a whole lot of difference in, in, in one color to the other. And well, before I get into that whole deal, if you guys got questions, specific questions about colors and this and that for guys starting out, well, I'll answer all that when you get to, yeah to that point. Honestly, I, I don't want to answer your question before you we're ready to get to it. However, I do have one question about your filming that I've always wondered watching your stuff. 
So no, uh-huh. you know when you sometimes you'll set up a camera that is watching you guys. You know sometimes right. it's like off off the on the ground somewhere else. And I noticed like when you turn that light on behind you on, it's it's always pointing up and then you come down to the animal. Is right. that just because that's how you do it, or do you is there a reason behind that? I've just always wondered that. Reason. I don't know why. Yeah. No, and I'll, I'll answer that. That's a good question. Um, the reason that we do that is because the this particular light doesn't have a dimmer on it. And the thing that we've learned, the, the thing that we've learned a lot with, with animals, especially coyotes, is the fact that that whenever you're running two lights, which we have to do um, with the way that we film, when you go from, from one light that's relatively dim to an extremely bright UFO landing light that's about to come and abduct you, that there's you got to have a smooth transition from one to the other. And to do that, this light has got there's a lot of lights that have like a really, really hard center cone. And then it looks like somebody did a cutout and then it goes to a halo. They don't have a whole lot of, of wash, like a smooth fade from the really super bright part to the faded halo part. These have a really, really good wash to where when, when you're looking at the halo and you drop that down on top of an animal, it's not like you go from dark to extremely bright it's a gradual change so typically what we've done especially since we've had these these rigs is we whenever whenever we're scanning ronnie usually scans he's like the best light guy ever he's he knows the the game he'll scan and when he's scanning he'll run it just bright enough to where he can see eyes out there based on the size field that we're in so the bigger the opening the brighter he scans the smaller the opening the more dim he scans because all he's trying to pick up is eyes so as long as it's just bright enough to detect a set of eyeballs, which you don't have to have a whole lot of light to be able to do that, which I'm sure you guys have experienced, that, then that's plenty bright. You're not looking for, for a body. You're not looking to, to light them up enough to kill them. You're just trying to detect them and blind them initially. So typically what he'll do is he'll scan 360 degrees at a pretty good pace. And he typically with the size fields and stuff that we usually hunt around around our area, he usually finds an animal about twice as fast as I would with thermal, because at the rate that he can scan with his, his light, it takes me three or four times the amount of time to sit there. And even with the one X optic with a with the scanner, it takes me that much longer to go from point A to B than he can pick up with the light. So as long as his light's bright enough to, to pick him up way out there. He usually finds an animal faster. He'll find seven out of 10 of them before I pick them up with the thermal. Hmm. Every now and then, if we're in a great big giant opening, there'll be something way out there. And I'll say, hey, there's one coming. And I'll kind of put his light on it to where he knows. Even if he can't see it yet, I'll say right there, just leave it there. And well, what happens when, when we pick up an animal, we know we have one coming. Because this light doesn't have a dimmer on it, he'll have his light set to where it's dim. And then when the animal's committed and it's coming, he'll take that light on that, on the, the scan pro has a dimmer on it and he'll crank that light up and put as much possible light as he can on that animal before those big lights ever even come on. So whenever that big light comes on and it's up above him, he's got enough light in his face to where he can't see it. It's just like, okay, it goes from dim to semi-bright to really bright. 
And in that process, if you we've kind of got it down to where it's like we can do that based on what the animal's doing, and we can kind of detect, okay, well, we need to give them a minute to, before we burn them down. Some of them, we've had some that we, you know, we, we hit with the big light before we ever even hit them with a, a scan pro and have them run over the truck. But some of them, we kind of have to get them kind of eased into it, you know, to get them all the way up close with those big lights. But hmm. um, to answer your question, it's more of just a, of not having a dimmer. If I had a dimmer on that light, I would have it right on them and I would just slowly crank it up. But we're essentially doing the same thing, lowering it down on top of them like that. Hmm. Uh, I just, I've noticed it. So I'm, I was always curious. Well, let's talk about, that's I mean, what that's for that. That's obviously your transition into white light, you know, from a, like you said, a necessity standpoint for the show. I mean, you know, and obviously proves right. that you can use white light, but for the average person, in our state and other places that are thinking about getting into night hunting and want to start, you know, by getting into light hunting, what are some, uh, right. what would you say? Pointers? You know, like, do you, if you were just going hunting tonight, not filming, like your show got canceled, everything's over. I, I quit, you know, I'm, I'm done right. with this and I'm just going to go right. hunting. What would you say, you know, you would, you would pick up or, or somebody who's just starting would kind of do to, to get into it to, you know, and, and be successful. I mean, go spend $10 on a red light that isn't going to do anything for you. Probably won't make it very fun for someone, but how can someone get into it and, and maybe have some success too? Uh, what I would suggest is, is two different things. And this is something coming from just going through the, the, the learning curve of it. If you're, depending on your budget, if you're not looking to get into thermal, that's a whole different deal altogether. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to strictly run lights and be successful running lights, the, the best possible advice that I can give to somebody is a couple of different things. Is A, hunt with a partner, have a dedicated light guy and a dedicated shooter. Because no matter how you cut it, you still got to scan when you're out there. If you want to be successful with lights, you got to have that light on scan in 360 degrees from the time that call comes on to the time that you walk out of the field. And for the guys out there that don't, that haven't grasped that concept yet, go out and try it and you'll figure it out on your own. You got to have that light on as soon as possible that you can possibly pick up an animal, have a guy out there scanning. Okay. What that does by having two people is it basically, it frees up your shooter to not have to have a light on his gun you don't have to do it's like a one-man band out there trying to scan switch from a scanning light you can't hold a scanning light and you got to be really pretty talented to be able to hold a light and be able to, to shoot under that light unless it's mounted to your gun because you're not going to be sitting there just like the problem that you have with a, a weapon sight versus a scanner with thermal you got the same problem with the light on your gun you know you're not going to it's not practical to sit out there with the light on your gun that you plan to kill with and wave your gun around scanning with it. So you got to have somebody doing that part of the process. And if you're running just lights, you'll kill more animals. If you've got one guy doing one of one or either of the two. Um, and that's, we did it a lot. I did it a bunch of night hunting by myself. I did a lot of it with shotguns and stuff like that. And after I really started hunting with somebody else that was, you know, we were on the same page, we started killing a whole lot more animals when we, when we did that. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is, is, is I would suggest if you're, 
if you're hunting with just lights, I would, I would look highly into headlamps for scanning versus a handheld. I don't know what you guys have used since y'all have been into night hunting, but the, once you ever get a, a chance to run a headlamp to, to scan for eyes, the, it, it, uh, first off, it frees all your hands up. But the second thing, the main reason is because you can detect eyes literally twice as far with half the amount of light. And that to me is a big, that's a, a, a big advantage because especially if you're in places where you think they may have been hunted and been pressured and stuff like that, the least amount of light you can get away with when you initially hit that animal, the better your odds are of getting that animal close to be able to get him killed, you know, in a position where you can kill him. Um, you don't so see a lot of guys that they, they watch the footage and they, they're, they're like, man, I bet y'all spook a bunch of animals with that, that big ass light y'all use. And in fact, most of the times when an animal spooks, it's from a headlamp. It's from before those big lights ever even come on. And, and typically that's a pretty good sign that a lot of those, those animals have seen and been shot at with some kind of light source. And they, they perceive that as, as danger at the moment you hit them with it, especially around here, this time of year, you can hit certain cows with a light and it's like, hell no, they'll about turn inside out trying to get out of there. Yeah. Those are but the, when those are the around, smart dogs. <laughs> those are the ones that, yeah. And that, nothing I said on one of the shows, I said, no matter how you, how you go about it, no matter what sounds you use or what light or what color or how bright, nothing is going to make that coyote unsee the light that made him that way. You know, so it doesn't matter if you go out with a red light, a green light, a purple light, it doesn't matter. If you hit that coyote with the light, he knows he's getting hit with the light. Because we've we've spooked him with red lights, we've spooked him with green lights, we've, we've done just about everything as far as a color is concerned, and still had animals booger because they know it's a light. Um, for us, the only way to overcome that is to keep hunting until we find the right one that hadn't seen it. Yeah. So, huh, that makes sense. Uh, okay. So, uh, but before, yeah. Do you have a preference on red or green? I know you prefer, you use white because you use it for the filming side, but if you just <laughs> told somebody, Hey, go buy this one, would you tell them a red, green or white or, or it just, does it matter? Pre- or does it matter at all? In, in my in my personal opinion if I had to tell somebody to go out and pick a color light I would I would tell them if they're gonna hunt with the red light I would tell them to go out and put a target out at 100 yards at night and turn their whatever light they plan to use turn it on get their shooter or themselves or whoever under the gun and make them go shoot at 100 yards and see if they can hit with it and if they can, if they're confident with that, if that's what gives them confidence, if mentally, if red is what, that's what makes you feel comfortable and feel like it can give you that confidence to be successful, go and go and do it. The problem that I had personally, before we ever even got into the filming side of it, was I couldn't shoot worth a shit under a red light. I couldn't see what I needed to see to be able to make good shots and to be able to kill them effectively. And what what I feel like a lot of guys will, will do is they'll kind of, they'll cut their shooting and distance in half because mentally they don't think they can do anything else. And ultimately at the end of it, you're there to kill them, you know? And if you can kill them twice as far because you've got enough light to be able to see them good to do it, you know, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, But I would say that, that once you take that, 
that light you plan to shoot with and you go out and you put it at 100 yards and then you take it out to 200 yards say okay now shoot that if you can't do it with that red light and you don't feel confident doing that that'll at least tell you how far your distance that you have with whatever light that you plan to use is and if you're happy with that stick with it you know if you're not if you're a guy like me that couldn't see them well enough to be able to be effective killing them and you know acquiring the target and seeing if they're facing left or right or forward that that was the biggest problem that i had personally shooting with a red light was the fact that we just couldn't see the damn things to kill them you know but that's fixable if you if you're open-minded enough to go out there and use something that's gives you more killing power put it that way but dimmer dimmers are a key in that too as well that's why i would always suggest if you're going to buy a light for night hunting always buy one with a dimmer regardless of the color because no matter what you want to be able when it, when it comes time for that gun to go boom you want that an, as much physical light on that animal that you can possibly put for the guy that's on the gun to be able to kill him and with the red light if you're if you're limited like you're governed to oh, okay well we can only kill them at 75 100 yards well, that forces you to get that every cow you call in to 75 to 100 yards for your shooter to be effective you know and hell our these lights right here even without thermal we've killed coyotes out there past 300 yards with them literally without thermal guys that were running daytime scopes that hopped in the truck and shot coyotes out there that's how bright they are wow you that's know? impressive so there's there's more options out there than 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 just red but ultimately confidence and knowing what that lights limit limitations are combined with the shooter's abilities mm -hmm. that's where you need that's what most guys all they do is they get on the internet and they say, oh, you got to have a red light to go kill cows. Well, then they'll go out there and they'll, and, and they'll call in 50 cows and they'll kill three of them. Yeah. And well, well I couldn't see them to kill them, you know? So that, I just feel like that, red, that's red. a great debate, right? Like when we first started, when we, when Missouri passed the night hunting ability with lights, I think, you know, we kind of all started researching that aspect because we thought, well, that's a cheaper way to go. And that was always an argument. Well, do we do we do red or green? Do we, and white was never even obviously an option, like in all the things we were reading and uh, all that stuff. And then our dumbasses all just jumped into thermals. <laughs> so you know, before we even like did it, we're like, let's just go spend all kinds of money, and that's a, that's right. cool. But uh, uh, I just think it's a I it's a, a it, of... it is a good option for people, especially if they just want to see if they even like night hunting. I mean, a lot of people in our state have never even done it. So oh, yeah. legally. Well, yeah, <laughs> legally. So like yeah. for that guy or girl out there that's like, I would like to go night hunting. It's right. not feasible for them to go drop three grand on a thermal. Right. To to do it when they can go spend, I don't know. Two, three hundred bucks. A couple hundred bucks. Yeah, a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. And, and try it out and, yeah. and see how they like it. Yeah, we, we did a show this this year. Um, if you're following it just on YouTube, we, we did one that, that was basically the whole entire storyline or gist of the show was with the fact that, that, that the cost of thermal is coming down to the point to where a lot of the average guys can go, if they save a little bit of money, they can afford to get into the thermal game. And what that's done is it's the thermal industry has boomed so much that it's kind of taken a lot of the spotlight away 
from from guys that are that are hunting with with lights and that's kind of what they do well mentally for states like missouri that that don't know really a whole lot about night hunting you get on the internet and your facebook or whatever and you, you see all these guys killing these coyotes with thermal well well i gotta have thermal if i'm gonna go out and kill coyotes that's not true at all and this the show that we did basically the gist of it was that that no matter how popular thermal gets no matter even if thermal eventually gets cheaper than lights lights are still a very effective way to be able to go out and kill a pile of animals and not break the bank to 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 do it right you know and and if you if you skip that step if you jump straight into thermal and you don't know anything about coyote hunting at night then there's a whole other world out there that you're missing out on because hunting with lights and hunting with thermal is the same as the, the difference is the same as daytime versus nighttime. They're two completely separate animals altogether. It's not the same thing. Right. And uh, the, the process to get from point A, A to B is completely different, but it's still effective as, as it can be. If you do, if you go about it a certain way and you, and you hunt the right way for your area, you can be a very effective killer with just lights for pretty, a pretty insignificant amount of money, um, without having to go and spend three or $4,000 on a, on a thermal. Yeah. Now, does that mean that that thermal is not badass? And I wish that, you know, everybody that ever went out coyote hunting at night needs to try it. No, cause it's fun as hell. Hell but yeah, it is. <laughs> lights are lights are are a, are a huge option. That if a guy doesn't have a whole lot of budget in mind, if he you know if he's kind of going week to week, he can still go in and experience it and and do real well at it with just yeah. lights. You know, well, <clears throat> well it kind of so. brings it. The way I think of it is, we've been out a handful of times, you know, with the thermals and stuff. And when you're behind a thermal. It's almost like you're kind of playing a video game. Like when you're watching that dog come in on a screen, it's not as uh it's not as an intense for me anyways rather than actually seeing the the dog itself in a light or in right. during the daytime. Cuz I mean, I sure. I enjoy daytime coyote hunting probably more than I do at night. I still enjoy night hunting, but there's a huge rush in watching that dog come in you can see it and you can see it working and whenever you put right. it behind a thermal screen it almost feels like a video game to me kind of so yeah exactly that, that's well a good one way of the to things that, the the best way that the best analogy that i can use when it comes to to predator hunting at night with lights and and you got to remember the generation that i came from there was no thermal it was pretty much if you're a, a night hunter in texas you're a spotlighter that's bar none that's what you did you didn't go out and have all this fancy night vision equipment thermal that's that's what the way that's the generation that we cut our teeth on was basically going and and shining picking up eyes and that's what we did but when i was when i first started out in it the the thing that that really it's i don't know how to describe it the the best analogy that i can give to being the guy on the light and seeing those eyes the first time when you're scanning you're sitting there you're about half tired about half asleep and then boom, there's a cat standing there at 50 yards, lit up, his eyes look like a couple of laser beams coming at you. The, the excitement that I get from that feeling, the best analogy that I can use from that is like a guy when he goes fishing and you got and you're fishing with a cork 
and you sit there and you stare at that court for 30 minutes and all of a sudden it goes boop and it disappears. You're like, Oh, that excitement that I, that I get from that or people would get from that is the same excitement I get. And I've done it a thousand times. It's just something about seeing those eyes, picking those eyes up at night and blinding those animals to the point where they, I mean, we've had them walk literally right up to us and they have zero clue that you're there because they can't see what's behind that light with thermal you totally that goes away that whole aspect of of the the whole process or premise of using lights to blind an animal is is totally backwards from what you would have when you go to set up to try to hunt them at night with thermal matter of fact thermal to me is more like having to set up like daytime than it is hunting hunting with lights if that makes any sense no you do have to think about you know if it's a bright night you got to think about backdrop you know brushing in a little bit i mean we had that happen last night (laughs) where we were kind of skylined uh on some stuff yeah and we we knew it in fact when when we're when we're shining we we try to do our best to get away from any obstructions you know we'll get in an area to where when we've got something coming Anything that we put next to us, mentally, a lot of guys are like, well, I need to go get up under that tree. I need to go, when they're sitting there holding a the light, the coyote can't see you or that tree. They, It's like, I've got to get next to something. That's the mentality that a lot of guys will use at night because they don't understand how lights work and what they're actually doing when those animals get close. Anything that you put between you that potentially could get between you and that animal is a potential problem. When you're when you're running lights because you want that light in their face from the time you pick them up to the time you pull the trigger just to keep them blinded and not have anything get between you and them but thermal if you're standing out there in the middle of a wide ass open field on a relatively even a starlit night you got to think those animals have good enough vision where they can go down in a creek navigate through the thickest mess that you can think of with zero light at all without killing themselves so if you don't think that when they pop out in that opening that you're standing now, you and a couple of buddies are out there standing in, they can see you plain as day. If you move, especially if you if you you're not stationary, if you're moving around and fidgeting or whatever, they can make you out. And that's the advantage to me that that a light guy, somebody that's got a light, even if it's a small light, just something enough to to conceal the what's happening, you know, behind that light. That's that's a huge advantage. Uh, even for thermal guys. Hmm. Um, in fact, we've got guys here that are around the house that they're all, they've got a ton of thermal and they're like, you know what? We watch some of the shows and we see you guys are, y'all have some of the best thermal equipment out there, but y'all are still shining. And they're, they're like, we kind of figured out the, that there's a reason that y'all are doing that. It's like, yeah, we're hunting from a truck in the middle of a field. A, we can pick them up faster most of the times. And B, when we get them coming, they can't see the truck. Just because we're killing them with thermal doesn't mean that that's, you know, you have to use just thermal. That's why we're still shining, even with all the thermal equipment. So that makes a lot of sense. Hopefully, that answers. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, and the reason we wanted to talk to you so badly is because it's possible to get into night hunting without, like we just said, spending all kind all kinds of money. And yeah, 100%. I mean, you just admitted it, or you just admitted it, explained it uh, to the listener is it's it's not that big of a deal if you wanted to get into it. And obviously once you get into something, then that's when the money starts flowing out of your pockets if you enjoy it. <laughs> but, uh, right. Hey, that, that is what it is. 
Uh, I thought of another question. Oh, uh, okay. So you guys mix thermal and lights, obviously. Uh-huh. Normal person, not worry about filming. Is that a big, a big deal? Everybody that we talk to talks about, you know, you, know, you can't be using lights if you've got thermals going on. I mean, that's not true at all. I know. That's I, once you just explained it, it kind of hit me in the head. Like, I guess you could use, why couldn't you use lights to conceal what's going on behind the light? Uh, let me, let me explain it to you like this. And this is the best way to look at it. If you got, I don't know how big the areas are that you guys actually hunt. Okay. The bigger the area, the more, the less important it is, the speed you pick them up, the smaller the area, the more important it gets the speed you pick them up because if you get one coming in on in fourth gear and you're over here looking this away and he covers half that distance from the time he leaves the brush to the time he gets out in the open where you could physically see him if it takes that long for you to pick that animal up you're taking a lot more risk that he sees you you're taking a half the amount of time double the amount of time away that you could possibly be getting in position to get on that animal. That's why to me, having that light going 360, especially in tighter places is like head and shoulders above having both having a light guy and a guy that's sitting there with the gun with thermal, with the scanner, having those two in smaller or tighter openings is way more effective than just having a guy sitting there with, with two scanners looking for, for coyotes in both directions. I promise you, if you get a light guy like, like Ronnie that knows how to scan and can do it, like from the time he goes 360 degrees to the other, it's literally two seconds, two seconds, two seconds. And the whole time and immediately when that animal pops out, not only has he got control of him because that coyote can't see shit, it's giving us, it's affording us the ability to move around. I can, if my gun's facing this way, I can pan all the way up. That cow can't see none of that. It's but like you're thermal, behind a like you're behind a curtain. You it's like you totally take the biggest the biggest advantage that you get with a light is basically taking that animal's sight away. Without that light, you're giving that back to him. Okay. Guys, a lot of guys I think that are thermal, the big thermal guys, they they look at it like one dimensionally. They think, okay, because I have this thermal it must only be thermal. But what they're really doing is they're really kind of shooting themselves in the foot because there are advantages that a light can give you that thermal doesn't. And there's advantages that thermal can give you over what lights, if you know when and how to use them. Hell, there's, there's coyotes around here that if we hit them with a light, we know they're going to turn inside out. So guess what? We slip in there on them, find them, either squeak them up with just thermal or we just walk in on, on them and bust their ass with just thermal. That's how you can utilize the power of thermal. But when you're in places where you know coyotes haven't been pressured, you know that they'll put up with the light when you hit them with it, your odds of being able to kill those animals and pick them up and detect them and get them close to where they're killable are a whole lot better having a light guy there that can shine, pick them up and keep them covered to where you can maneuver and do what you need to do as a shooter to be able to get on them and kill them. So don't, don't think for five seconds that just because you have thermal doesn't mean that you, that you can't use lights. And if I'm using thermal to kill and I'm not filming, I would never get it very bright. I would keep it just dim enough to pick them up based on the size of the opening that it is 
that lets you pick them up faster and it puts enough light on them, just enough to blind them to let you get to maneuver some. And just remember this too, the, the brighter the light is, the more coverage that you get. So when you're standing, if it's two guys and you're out in the middle of a field, if you're standing there and you're running a really, really dim light, you don't want the guy that's, that's next to you 10 or 15 foot to the right or left of you. You need to be standing right next to each other because from his perspective, you think about it from the Kyle's perspective, when he pops out and your light's pretty dim, you're only covering just around your body and just a little bit to the left and right of you. Mm -hmm. With these big filming lights, hell, we had a guy the other day, he was like, I'm going to walk out there and just see how far outside that light I can see. Like, how far do I have to get out away from that light to be able to see you? And he literally went like, like 30 yards, 40 yards, one way outside that light before he could physically see part of my body standing there behind that camera. But if that light were like real, real dim, it would only have to go just a few feet to be able to see movement and stuff like that. So just remember when, if you are planning on shining and you want to use that plus thermal, just remember to try to stay close together to one another to where when something does show up, when something does show up, you've got enough coverage where you can get away with movement and stuff to get on them. So that's, that's what I have to say about that. That's a pretty, I mean, I just, you, you always hear that argument. Nope. Nope. Can't do them together. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's not now like there's, what's... there's some areas in the country. I would never in a million years even think about turning a light on. It just depends on the area and it depends on the what's happening in the area that, that you that you hunt. And for us, we've hunted this area so long, we kind of have a general idea of how many guys are, are doing it. We know when we need to hunt certain areas a certain way and so forth. But in general terms, as long as you're not dealing with educated coyotes in smaller areas, then a light guy is a huge advantage. I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't want to go without it. Hmm. Um, we've had times where we just, for some reason, like a battery dies in the light or something like that. And I literally, See, even sitting there with thermals, I, I feel naked not having somebody scanning because it feels like you're, you're you feel like you're vulnerable sitting there, you know, in the middle of a field because you know they can see you. Right. You know that makes sense. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna switch uh, gears here, but we like to add, we ask this to James just because we're so curious and I mean we're into to that right now. You want to ask the question you wrote down earlier or no? You good? Oh, it don't matter. Well, what I think Zach's what, asleep. <laughs> you fall, fall asleep over there i'm he, still here he uh he's here. had a rough night he uh was in a grain bin sweeping out or shoveling out a grain bin before he come here so he's probably about dead ass tired i'm guessing we're getting there but uh just I, always I i'm answering your questions i've i'm, I'm no you're doing this is great absolutely yeah, yeah. This is good stuff this is great uh we ask a lot i don't know it's just always a hot topic but what is uh what's your preferred rifle caliber uh, for us, it's a 243, and for various different reasons, um, nothing against any other calibers out there. Nothing against the if we if we didn't have a 243, it'd probably be a 22250. Um, yep. But primarily the 243, just because we don't like having to look for animals. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we get them on camera, coyotes in Texas aren't worth a nickel. Yep. You know, it's not, we're not trying to save hides or anything like that. No, we don't like tearing them up or anything like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we shoot a really light, it's a 55 grain ballistic tip. And if you hit them good, 
you've got one little pinhole going in and usually their body feels like they got run over by a truck with no mm -hmm. fur damage. And it'll usually on camera, it'll anchor them. I mean, it'll face plant them. Cause those things are moving time. 55, those 55 yeah, oh, yeah. grain. They're, they're, well, I think the ones we're running are probably 3,700 foot, maybe 3,800 foot per second. Something like Jeez, that. That thing is booking it. That's, that's, and, and I'm guessing you out where you are, you have the ability to shoot a little further. I mean, I know you're hunting at night, but you have the ability to shoot a little further. And I don't know, oh, yeah. maybe you do someday hunting too. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> We actually, believe it or not, last we went out last night and uh guy, we actually just got back from Pennsylvania. We went up and did a red fox show up there, which is something we've kind of been on our bucket list forever. But long story short, he uh he wanted to come to Texas. He said, you know, I'd love to come down there and try to kill some coyotes and kill some some pigs or something. If you ever I said, Well, if you're ever down, just come down. Well, he came down and he's been here the last couple two days of later. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he uh Long story short, with the way that we've got our 243 set up, we're kind of backwards from the way a lot of guys, when they go zero, we, we actually zero at 50 yards. And the reason that we do that is because when we're filming, it basically takes all, any kind of guesswork whatsoever about any scope differential or anything like that uh, out of the equation to where the guy that's on the gun, that's our prime filming range from like 50 yards down to 10 yards. That's what gets those really, really high quality shots. So we want to simplify it for the guy that's on the gun. But what that did with that particular caliber and having the scope differential of that Rico on that, on that, the top of that barrel is from zero to about 310 to 315 yards. There's absolutely zero compensation. In other words, I can put it dead nuts on them at 150. I can put it dead nuts on them at, at 10 yards or at 300 yards. And long story short, there's probably going to be some guys calling bullshit on this, but he hit a cow at 380 yards last night with the Rico and that 243, and it just knocked him over stone cold dead. I said, he was like, where do I hold? I said, maybe about an inch or two high. And he freaking let her rip and Kyle falls and then you hear the boom and it just, it smoked him, you know, but that gun That's is awesome. set up. It's, we set it up for filming purposes to kill them close, but with it being that Rico sits about yay high, about two inches high over the top of the barrel. So there's about a two to two and a half inch scope differential. So at 150, we're about this high, but on a coyote, when you hit them that much high in the side or in the front, it's not like it's going to make that much difference most of the time, right. but it really takes a lot of the guesswork out hmm. for us. Um, and with that, with that particular caliber moving, like it has, it's got the shock it needs to just, mm -hmm. I mean, they yeah. don't have any choice, but to crumple if you hit them good. That's what you know? James said about the 22, 250. He's like, it's that, it's Speed that of shock. The... That's just, it's that, well, he trauma. Said... It just, that initial, just, buzz and mm -hmm. it just paralyzes them that's what Heath you was know. saying yep. too when we had him on last yeah it's, it's the the shock value the shock on both yeah. of them you know a lot of talking about shooting the 55 grains and pumping them yeah upper threes yeah yeah the thing a lot of guys i think the big mistake a bunch of guys will make is whenever they go and they start looking at different different uh weights and stuff like bullet weights is if if you go if you ever start shooting coyotes <laughs> and you start and you start seeing the ground blow up behind them and, and all your rounds are blowing through them, that's how you'll get a coyote to run and do circles and start tail chasing and running off 100 yards, and you got to go find them later. And for us, we want that bullet to go in and expand in like that 
basically spend all its energy inside the animal versus into the ground behind them. Dear you know, and the Lord. heavier the bullet, the heavier the bullet, the more the the more that that's likely to happen. And shooting them more further back, like behind the shoulder instead of in it, the more likely that's that's bound to happen. Yeah. So that's why we shoot those lighter bullets going pretty damn fast. Makes so, sense. My apologies for uh, the unprofessionalism just now. My dog just ripped ass right Dude, it here. It smells so terrible. <laughs> <here. laughs> it's just still so horrible. It right smells here. so bad. Oh, it's nasty. I know why I put you up before we record. Gosh, I let him stay out one time and he oh, shits his pants in front of us. But yeah, uh, yeah. The, I mean, it's just interesting to know because there's so many. Like you hear all the different arguments for every different caliber, you know, with right. with uh, coyotes and course we're you know we're trying to like fine-tune our setups and what we want to do and you feel like you want to just go buy every caliber out there and right try it so you know for us for us we uh i've seen a lot of guys depending upon the, the caliber and stuff that they shoot there's certain ones that we try to stay away from as far as just certain types of rounds one of them in particular a lot of, you know i know james and them like a v-max mm-hmm. but they're shooting it out of a 250 and not a 243 and we uh back when we were with Carnivore, they Hornady was one of the sponsors. Well, they sent us a bunch of 243 V Max. I think it was a 58 grain. Mm-hmm. I bet we hit 50 coyotes with them, and out of the 50 we hit, there might have been one or one or two of them that didn't have a grapefruit size hole in them. We just had horrible experiences with the 243. Now I've got a buddy that shoots a two a 250, and it smokes them, and there's just like the same performance we're getting out of our 243 with the rounds that we're shooting, they he's seeing the same thing. So whatever the difference is between those two calibers in that same bullet, like a 223 VMAX or a 22250 VMAX is killer. But you go to the 243, yeah, it'll kill them graveyard dead, but you'll have a basketball-sized hole in the back of them. Half yeah, of pill's them. not working so towards just, anything. We, yeah. it, even, yeah. even though we're not planning on selling them, we still don't like it being like a grenade went off when you hit them on camera. You right. know, We like them to stay in one piece you know most of the times when we hit them Hmm. you know so we've for us with the with the barrels and stuff that we're we're running for us that 55 grain running at about 37 to 3800 foot that's that's been our in a ballistic tip that's that's been our go-to nice round nice yeah that's just i mean it's especially with guys you know who do like what you do and what james do we're it's just interesting to to ask that question because we uh well we've gotten three different answers really we've gotten six creedmoor 22250 and 243 yeah and it's it's for like what is your application like up where james is hunting they sell they sell those pelts i mean those those south dakota coyotes are pretty mm-hmm. and so they want to save as much as they can mm-hmm. right and uh and what did he say like their furthest shot is some usually 400 and in because they want the good footage yeah so mm-hmm. you know you're not worried about reaching out and touching them at 700 yards necessarily right um yeah he's like the if, six I'm shooting, if, if i'm shooting coyotes at 700 yards and i'm not getting any video <laughs> right, right yeah so, so we we try to get him as close as possible but from a caliber standpoint for me if a guy's just looking at a caliber to buy i would suggest whatever the flattest shooting round they can possibly find for one because you are, if you're, especially if you're day hunting in open areas, you're going to have a lot of 200 to 300 yard shots a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, and setting it up to where you can kill those animals and know where your guns are at, at those, at those ranges. But 
mainly is making sure that you don't go too heavy on your, on your bullet. You know, if you start shooting cows with a hundred grain bullets, it's going to blow right through them and they're going to run. Even if you hit them good half the time, there's a lot of times where that thing's going to go right through them and you're going to have an exit wound and they're going to run 50 to hundred yards on you. And we yeah. just, for filming, we can't, we take based on what we actually experience and can verify <laughs> through hitting multiple coyotes over and over and over. What does it do on camera? And the round that we found that's the most effective with the least damage is that 55 to 43. Nice. Um, we shot a Grendel for a while. We shot a six, five Grendel with like 110 grains uh, for, and I love it for pigs, but I've never, I've never, really liked it as much as a 243 just for the range and we had a lot of we had a whole year where we shot a bunch of them and it all boiled down to the fact that bullets were just too heavy you know every single one of them you can watch you can go back and watch the footage you can see the dirt flat behind them and usually with our 243 it's just animal gets shot and it's flat like a pancake and that's what we're looking for you yeah. know so Nothing against the round if you're a six five Grindel guy. No, well, I, I, I just picked one up, I don't know, a few months ago or whatnot, and I, I haven't had right. haven't even had the chance to shoot it at a coyote yet. But I mean, sorry about that. No, yeah, <laughs> he stole my kill. But, I stole the kill one time. But anyways, you know, so I, I'm curious. I mean, you know, eventually, you know, the plan is to have all sorts of calibers at some point. So, yeah. But I did pick up a Grindel. Mainly, I mainly got it for it's something that my daughter and kids will be able to shoot in. You know. Oh, yeah. deer with if need be so you know but i was oh, going to try for coyotes there's, yeah there's a lot of guys are saying about oh, 243 is a crap round for coyotes well you know everybody's got their own opinion and we've just based ours on you know hitting enough of them at night even when you hit them bad we don't like chasing them in the dark you yeah. know if we if we even if we shoot them midway back most of the times it'll dump them enough on camera to where they're not sitting there biting and chasing mm -hmm. guts halfway across the pasture. I mean, that's, that's not really beneficial for what we're after. Yeah. Right? One thing I'm going to cool. definitely try. James uh, said last week is when we asked him this question, uh, two twenty three, he uses a 50 grain V max with a uh, right. boat, boat tail. Is that <clears throat> yeah, 50, yeah. Yeah. 50 grain boat tail. And I'm, I'm getting close to low on my stash that I think the next purchase, I might try those out and see i've had a few that probably was the shot more than anything that did mm -hmm. do some i guess you'd call it running uh they still died right. but you know i didn't like it so i'm curious if uh what a 50 grain you know it's just weird you know your brain goes oh you're going from 55 to 50 you think you're losing power but that's not necessarily the case it's not i mean the 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 shock that that those animals get when they get hit with a bullet going that fast is it's unmeasurable. If you think about it from their perspective, so it'd be like you basically taking the brunt of, of that bullet and keeping that you're basically catching a bullet versus having it blow through you mm -hmm. and hit the ground. Cause all that energy is going into the dirt instead of where you really want it, you know, yeah. at that point. So the, the only downside that you have to, to, to shooting a super fast caliber like that, is, is you'll have every now and then you'll have a splash. I don't know if you guys know yeah. what that is, but basically where it expands on the outside of them, mm -hmm. that happens on our, on our rounds, probably about one out of every 20 coyotes we hit mm. 
it'll but it the thing is it'll still it puts in, in them enough pain where it'll, it'll usually dump them on camera right. even when it does that but typically when you see that you'll see like a patch of fur missing on the outside and it'll have like a cavity like it was almost in far enough to expand but it did it on the outside because it was you know it was going so fast yeah but other than that that's do you guys ever for, miss for with the most part that that What's that? You guys ever mess with like a, a 204? Do I don't know. I'm a big fan of the 204 round. Do you ever mess mess with that? I have I haven't personally. I know uh, a lot of guys that, that have shot that round for fur and said it's a really great round for you know if you're trying to really keep furs nice and and whatnot. Um, but I I don't have enough knowledge about it to be able to be able that, to, to tell you much about it. I think it's moving like but. at 4100 feet per second with a 32 grain. I don't know. I've shot them out to about 280, 300 with it and then just dumped them right on it. But yeah, I mean, it's going fast and it's light. Mm-hmm. So it make it has that shock factor. Right. But would, you would think, I it know would it's have not that. as effective the farther you get and it's a lighter bullet. So I think anything past like 300 wind starts playing yeah, a, a pretty big factor. Pretty good wind drift on that. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Whenever when guys are asking about calibers and whatnot, it, when you start trying different ones, the thing that I try to explain to them is, is, is if, if you know, you hit them right. And most guys, if you do enough research and hit enough coyotes, you'll figure out where the right, where the stop button's at. You know? <laughs> and and if, if you hit them in the right spot and you go up to them and they're, and they're literally their body cavity feels like it's a bag of mush or jello with no exit. That's the bullet you need to be shooting because those are the ones that, 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 that animal, it took the brunt of that round. Yeah. And if you go up to every single coyote and you hit them right, and every one of them's got an exit going out the back, to me, that's too heavy. You start dialing it back until you get that happy medium where you can keep it in them every time. Because that's what you're – if you want them to hit hit the dirt right where they stand when you shoot them, that's what you got to do to be able to do that consistently over and over and over again. Unless you just – if you don't really care, if you want to hit them and have them run off 40, 50 yards and go pick them up, so be it. You know, but we, we like the ones that'll dump them, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. I'd rather not wonder if they're going to get away, you know, type of deal. So, yeah. cool, man. Well, we really appreciate your time tonight. I mean, I I, I think the listener is going to learn a lot about the positives um, when it comes to hunting with lights. I mean, and that's that's a great option. We, we are not in any circles that – people hunt with them so Mm -hmm. you know this is this was a lot of new information with us tonight because for whatever reason we all just decided to go spend lots of money and started with thermals but now it makes us think well hell maybe (laughs) we should start running lights yeah i think we need need to go out there with the light now well i I didn't ever would have thought about you you talked about like the dimming factor of kind of gradually getting that bright light yeah my first instinct would have just been bam hit it with it boom Yeah. yeah And the way he explained, uh, like, the light, I mean, the way I envision what you're talking about is that light acts as a curtain for everybody that's behind it so that you can exactly. you can move around. That's you, exactly what They is. don't know you're there, and that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because last night, well, we went hunting more than just last night, but last night we talked about getting skylined and, mm-hmm. oh, we need to get next to these trees because you have to, you have to then account for them seeing you because right. you're in the dark, you know? So, I, I mean, that, that makes I, the way a lot of I explain sense. it to people. Yeah. I explain it to people that that light is all the camo you'll ever need at night. 
Yeah. And when, when I've, I've even said that you could get away with calling them up from a big, bright yellow school bus, if you put enough light in their face, you know, and, and the, the whole premise behind having that light is to basically take that one sense away from them that you can't with thermal, unless you have a light, you know, thermal is a great tool to be able to, to kill stuff without having to put that light on them. But the flip side of that is that light gives you an advantage with the right coyotes, as long as they're not educated. There's some guys that'll go out and they'll take a light and they'll say, well, Chris told me to go out and shine a light. And I, I hit a coyote with a light and he went to the next county when he first saw it. You know, you got to have the right animals first. <clears throat> right. You know, if you go out and you, if you're hunting places where, you know, guys are, are hunting them and, and guys driving up and down the back roads, maybe shining or whatever, those coyotes aren't stupid and they can get conditioned. But if you're dealing with ones that haven't seen it and you're hunting in primarily a little bit tighter areas, that's another thing I'll, I'll tell you just in a second. But when you've got areas that are less than, say, 200 to 300 yards, that's where a light really does its best. If you're in big, huge, giant openings, lights can be counterproductive because the thermal can pick them up just as fast a lot of times or faster than the light guy. But it... it the tighter the area, the less time that animal has to think about that light. Because what a light really does, whenever you're calling and that animal hears that sound, that, that sound is the distraction. You've triggered that animal's instinct to go to that sound and that light is not even a factor. Well, when you give them ample time to go and you know, you've got 800 yards between you and a cow and he's sitting there looking at a light the whole time, that coyote has a lot more time to sit there and think about that light. I wonder, that's not right. Something's not right about that. Right. But if they're in, if they're in smaller openings, a, you can pick them up faster with the light and B they're usually in a, in an obtainable, they're within shooting distance to be able to, to manage them more so than in big giant areas. That to me, where thermal really shines solely by itself is when you're in bigger openings than than with the light if that makes any sense yeah absolutely it does make sense yeah Yeah. i would say that's i mean most of our areas around here are are, you're gonna have that within 300 yards we do have some decently large openings too but you know it's just it's kind of a mix where we are but yeah um chris we really y'all are new yeah go ahead i'm sorry consider considering i'll shut up consider missouri is a it's a new (laughs) Y'all are y'all are basically infants in the night hunting. Oh, absolutely. Scene. We are we're little babies. Really little if babies. If you only those knew. Coyotes <laughs> there, those, yeah, those those coyotes in in Missouri should be a bunch of virgins when it comes to lights. Unless you have a bunch of poaching and guys out running around spotlighting and stuff like that. If I were going to Missouri, I would love to see how an animal would react to a light because if we can get away with it here basically the biggest night hunting state in the country then i would love to see what a place that hasn't seen that those coyotes shouldn't have been near the pressure than what we get around here you might be surprised go out there and shine a light and you have a cow try to tackle the call sounds like you just That's need to come find out right next to you <laughs> yeah come on up bud. sounds like you need teach to make a trip something. up here and show us yeah it's right <laughs> yeah at any rate yeah, that's my two cents on the subject. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, yeah, that's I like I said. I mean, and that's what we kind of thought is our first two years. I, you know, the coyotes, as this continues and as we have it, 
move on, they're going to get smarter. I'm assuming too. People are trying to kill us at nighttime now. I've noticed, you know, and they they start figuring that out. Right. And then you educate a dog on some stands, and that dog makes it to next year, and you know all that stuff. So I'm sure it's going to start getting harder and harder, um, no matter what we do over the next couple of years. But it's uh it's been fun for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean. Seen some crap at you night were. that we would have never seen during the day. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. One thing you will will do, and just to uh, just to give you a heads up, you will educate. You can and will educate coyotes faster with the light than you can just thermal. That now, makes why sense. is that? Because, because they know it's they know it's something that they, unless they see you when you're standing out there. If they if if you take that visual side of that when you hit them with that light and you shoot at them and miss them. Or they, you hit them with that light, and they they are looking at that light, and they get downwind of you, and they smell you. That that part of associating that light with danger is the is the education that they don't get with thermal because they don't have that visual of that light when you're just running just thermal in the dark. That is one disadvantage of a light. Yeah. So it has its pros and cons. You just have to know when and what scenarios you really need to use both or one or the other. You know. That's cool. Oh. That makes sense. Well, before we hop off with you, um, why don't you give our listener uh, information on how they can watch your show, uh, both on you know your uh, actual TV show and then on um, YouTube, and how they can see you on uh, whatever social media you choose to use. Um, sure. And, uh, um, we uh, we actually on Sportsman's Channel. We we run on Sportsman's Channel in the first and second quarter. And uh, it airs at 6.30 on Monday nights, uh, Central Standard Time. And uh, it's just called Night Crew. You can just get on if you've got Dish or Direct TV or something like that. Just go on go on the guide and look for Night Crew at 6.30 on Monday nights between January through the end of June. And uh, if you can't catch it there, you don't have Sportsman's Channel, just go to YouTube and search Night Crew, and it'll pull, it, it'll pull it right up. Some of the most beautiful as, stuff As of now, seen. we've got season – yeah, we've got season one through five already up on our YouTube channel. And we're slowly starting to add season six yeah. uh, as we as they come. So. I heard you explain to James on your show with him how that worked on getting those seasons on YouTube. Uh, you couldn't put them on like right away. You had to wait like six months or a year, and then you could right. upload them to YouTube too. So that was kind of interesting to hear that. But oh, and if people haven't heard this one, I would go to um, O'Neill Ops podcast. And I think it's episode 20. They did a show with Chris. And uh, y'all kind of got into some of the stuff we talked about tonight, but then also the, uh, oh, what do you, the industry, I guess you'd call it. And, uh, right. you know, how it works. And it's a it's a really good show. And um, I would highly suggest people go listen to that one with Chris too. And um, check them out. But uh, we really appreciate your time. I think it's some great information for people who, Maybe you're wanting to get into night hunting, but can't go spend even $2,500 on a thermal. And this is an option that they should really consider. And it's not a bad idea. And I, you know, it seems like a really great idea, to be honest. It's not, um, not worse than thermal just because it's cheaper. It's an, it's an alternative option. That's not quite as expensive. Um, that's an opportunity for guys that can't afford the thermal side of it to, at least go try it, you know. Yeah. You, you you might be surprised how much fun you'd have uh, going out with a with a headlamp and a killing light and killing the crap out of them. Yeah, that'd be. But I appreciate good. you guys having having me on, and hopefully that 
whatever little information I could have passed on y'all's way, maybe it'll help a few guys. Yeah, you know? oh, definitely. Sure. Yep. All right, Chris. Well, we'll take it easy. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to buy us a light. <laughs> Why is that funny? It's just funny. This is take two, and you said the exact same thing, so I'm, I'm enjoying this. Well, well, it was going really somebody, good until you hit pause. Yeah, somebody, somebody got a little little upset and hit pause because we're yeah. picking on him a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. So we had to go take two this time. Andy, yeah. Andy's being butt hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. No, but you guys got thermals. I'm going to buy a light. We're going to try that method out. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work a lot better than the way we're doing it now. I thought it was interesting. He said, I mean, you know, his guys, he's good at it, obviously. Yeah. But he can pick them up quicker, which I do understand. That a makes little a bit. lot of sense. It makes with the light because he can move it faster to yeah. where you're. Yeah. Oh, you're well, looking. You're, you're looking. You're, you have your full field of view. Yeah, you're not looking through to a, a little thermal. Thing. You only have what thirty yeah. millimeters or whatever the objective. And you're only looking for a flash, right? Yeah. For eyes. Although I, I forgot to ask him, <laughs> I wonder how many times they're like, see raccoon eyes. Oh, and well, you're I'm like, sure. oh, damn it, that's a raccoon. Keep I'm going. Sure it and then you have to remember. When you come back, there's a raccoon right there, and not stop every damn time. But, uh, uh, raccoon, keep going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that I'm, just. I asked um, him. I meant to ask him that, because like where where we're deer, at, there's coons you know, all over the place. Too. Yeah. I mean, we do got a lot of raccoons. We need to start popping those things. They've got a season though, don't they? Yep. Yeah, seasons are. are. What is their season though? I need to find that out. I would think that the season would be quite large for raccoons. I don't think it is. Really? It's not very long. Are you kidding me? No. No. With as many as we got. That's why they're the that's why they're a problem. It's well, basically it's basically the same as trapping season, if I'm not mistaken. Like it runs the same Really? And their pelts aren't worth anything anymore, so no one's trapping anymore. Right. So it's well, geez, all kinds MDC. Of you wanna help the turkeys open up the raccoon popul you know, the raccoon raccoon season. Season. Make it where we can just shoot those things on site and but truthfully, I mean they need to open up longer than just you know the short time. You were speaking generalities. I don't know the exact dates it's open, but I know it's not like a six-month period. You're talking a month or two. You talk about, yeah, I mean, obviously I could just tell you right now with my MDC app. But I know it's not on. I know they're not in season currently. Yeah. Well, the only thing in season right now is what? Coyotes? Basically. Pretty much. And isn't that there that weird thing? There's a few days in there. For like two weeks in March. Or is well, it no, April? It's got to be April. April where you can't hunt cows during the day. Yeah, but you, that's you, a really you can, shady, them, weird thing. You can hunt them at night, but with moonlight with moonlight because all of your artificial. And also, light if you look at over. if you look at the season dates, it, it says basically January first through December thirty one. So it's but, really misleading. Yeah, right? you gotta get the book, or actually, I think you gotta click into it. Yeah, click on the app. You gotta click on it, and it says you can't hunt during the daylight hours. Raccoons, hunting and trapping, November fifteenth through January thirty first. So two months. Two two months. See, but that's just trapping. Hunting, hunting and, tra- oh, and trapping. Hunting and trapping. I didn't hear the hunting <laughs> yeah. part. Yeah. So it's only two and a half months long. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Geez, no wonder there's a million of them. Yeah. No kid. Get on that end. And nobody really. And who well, do you know? Uh, yeah. Who do you know that hunts raccoons? There's a couple of people, but I don't know anybody. Yeah, I know, I know some trappers, obviously. Yeah, I know, I know Ethan. Most of them run with dogs. Yeah. I mean, hound hunters. I say I know some trappers. I know a trapper. Yeah, what's up, Ethan? Ethan? I know one guy. <laughs> yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> but you know, I don't know how much he tra- traps 
raccoons. I, I don't mean, think that's what he's going for. No. Most yeah. Of the time. Well, they're not worth. I said not worth right. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That was a great show, by the way. Have we even oh. talked about that yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've covered it. So no, that was a really good show. A lot of good information in that one. Uh, mm-hmm. So go buy a light from somewhere and go kill some coyotes. No, I I learned a lot on it. Yeah. Oh, and this is after the fact. But I will I will say this about night hunting. You sure do like to cut over people. You know that. <laughs> like I was seriously. You are talking. the world's worst cutter overer. No, I was hey, talking. Hey guys, got, it's called interrupting. Whatever. He's the one who said cut over. <laughs> Just want to clarify. I'm just saying. I was I, in the I middle was, of a sentence. No, you, you had just come started. In here, you I, know what? <laughs> what I got to say I, is I better. I just wanted to finish the, the the thought that we were on before you moved into something else. Okay. What's your thought? What, what's the finishing I thought? will say, regarding night hunting, though, even with lights, after going with some folks one way and the other, I really think you should be suppressed. Probably. Agree, disagree. Oh, it changed the way I hunt for sure. Yeah, it. Uh, I I went with uh, some folks, and people weren't suppressed. And after it was all over, I was like, I feel uneasy now. You know, like it was loud. Everybody knew it happened. Like anybody who was awake heard mm-hmm. it. You know, with suppressed, it's just you make less of a footprint at night. And not that you're doing anything wrong. Yeah. You're not doing anything thing illegally, but. You know, you don't want to cause anything. Yeah. You so don't want to deal with that. You don't want to deal with stuff, yeah. And I, I feel like it's a, it'd be a really could. good idea to be suppressed. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Okay, yeah. now go into your thing. F that. I'm done. Let's go. Do it. No, I'm done. No, I'm going to sit here. Because we're still waiting on the dad joke, just FYI. Dude, you done ruined it. He we does already it every talk, time. We already talked every about time this. he does it. Quit bringing up the damn dad okay, joke. Okay, well then just go let into it your, come in natural. Go into your and point. And then we'll go into that. I was just going to say, after the fact, we might get to see some of y'all because we'll be up at the Iowa Deer Classic this weekend. Yeah, that's right. So, Of course, you know, by the time they hear this, that exactly. will be over. That's what I was saying. <laughs> so that's why you don't want to say it now? Well, I done said it, did I? <laughs> All right. Hey, it's late. Uh, it's 1045. Jeez. And Andy and I didn't sleep at all last night. Sounds like you didn't either. No, I didn't. All because you drank some caffeine right before bed. I could drink caffeine, and I was pissed off because I wasn't hunting, and then, you know, just shit happens. So I hit your sister, went to bed. <laughs> no. No, I did not. I got to get up and walk five miles, so let's get after this. All right. We got to walk five miles? Yeah. Why? What? Well, I told my wife I would start exercising, but instead, my daughter wanted a new dog. So I just named the dog Five Mile. So every morning, I get up and walk five miles. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Not bad. Not bad. We'll yeah. give you an A for effort on that no, one. Yeah. I did. Uh, yeah. I like you, how you, you worked it in there real good. I let Dude, that. I had I a way. Him. I had a way better work in, but it's like, well, what is the dad yeah, I joke? Know, I know. Here we go again. I let, at least I Jesus. let him work it in this time. So then I had to figure out a new way to work it in, and it's just not as smooth because everyone's just yeah. I, I thought Moral you did great. Story I thought you did great. Ruin everything. <laughs> hey, I, I try. Just because he's short. I try my best. I try my best. All right, guys. Till next time. See ya. See ya. Thank you.